There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode number 113 of Luke's English Podcast. And this one is called Setting the World to Rights. So what does this expression mean? Well, according to the Macmillan Dictionary, it means to have a conversation with someone in which you exchange opinions on a range of subjects, especially opinions on how to solve society's problems. That's exactly what I did in this episode. Listen and you'll hear me engaging in conversation with a colleague of mine named Eamon. We went to the pub for a quick pint and ended up setting the world to rights. Eamon is a very intelligent and interesting guy and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening in on our conversation. I've decided it will help you immensely if you can read some of the phrases we use in this episode and so I've written many of those things in a list. Uh, which you can find on the website, which I'm sure you have remembered by now is teacherluke.podomatic.com. Go to episode 113 and you'll see a list of expressions which Eamon and I used in our conversation. And what you can do is just have a look at those um, expressions and make sure that you understand exactly uh, what they mean. And then uh, when you listen again, you'll fully understand everything that we say in our conversation. So that's pretty much it uh, from me in this introduction. And now you can settle down and enjoy the interview. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. And guess what? You might hear some music in the background. That's because I'm sitting in a pub. Now, you might get the impression from uh, what I've been doing in the last few episodes that I spend my whole life either in pubs, near pubs, or thinking about going to pubs. But uh, it's not really true. It's just that they're quite good places to hang out in England. Um, Often, these are the meeting points. These are the places that we spend time with with uh, other people so I happen to be in a pub if you hear music that's normal in a pub there's always a bit of light background music going on so that's probably what you can hear in the in the background there now in this episode I'm with um, Eamon who's uh, uh, someone I work with I sit next to him at the moment uh, in the teachers room and um, so I thought because uh, he's an excellent conversationalist I thought that I would uh, ask him to uh, talk to us to talk to me and talk to you, the listeners, uh, on Luke's English podcast. I'm sure he's uh, privileged and delighted to to join us. So, hello, Eamon. Hi, everyone. Yes, it's a it's a it's a pleasure uh, to be here. And um, yep. Over to you, Luke. <laughs> I am the host, so you know. Any time you you, yeah. you wonder what to say next, just yeah. just uh, yeah. just point it point yeah. the microphone back to me, and that's okay. fine. So uh, your name's uh, Eamon Shanahan, right? Mm-hmm. Now that isn't that an Irish name? Yeah, uh, yes, it is, Luke. It's an Irish name. Eamon is Irish for Edmund, 
And of course, um, I was named the first president of uh, the Irish Republic, Eamon de Valera, who in fact was a horrible man, so uh, yeah, but uh, he was nonetheless um, uh, an iconographic figure. And um, Eamon is quite, uh, it's quite a nice name actually. Um, throughout the years, um, it's been the one thing about myself I've always liked. <laughs> the, the, the one thing. <laughs> Surely there are other things that you like about yourself, Eamon. Then. Well, yes, that's all right. That was just a bit of a joke. Yeah. Eamon Shanahan. Yeah, a very Irish name. Okay. So, uh, but uh, are, you, are you Irish or British or what? Because you, you live in, you have lived a lot of your life in the UK. But are you British or are you Irish? What's well, I consider myself British, um, Irish British, if you like. Um, I was uh, born and raised in London, and. Um, as I'm sure many of uh, people who are listening now, London is often described as one of the great super cities. It's almost a culture in its own right. It's almost a country in its own right. And um, I f whereas I, I feel very at home in London culture, if I leave London um, and go into sort of small English villages, um, I do become aware of a cultural distinction between my upbringing, certainly in my home, and um, the upbringing of those around me, and, and I do feel Irish in typically English situations, but in London um, I don't, I just feel part of, um, of this city very much. So do you feel like the real British identity or sort of what really makes Britain British is found not in London but maybe in rural parts of the country, do you think so? No, I feel what's British is found in the big cities, you know, like um, London, uh, Glasgow, uh, Dublin. Um, what's Care careful, yeah. Dublin's not in Britain. There yeah. might be listeners who get yeah. very tetchy about that. Okay, um, well, to the tetchy listeners, I would say that um, uh, there's, okay, there's a political distinction between the north and south of Ireland, but in fact, if you look at the history of these islands, um, we're all intertwined, you know, uh, happily and unhappily, uh, sure, but that's history. Um, but uh, for me, the British, um, well, the British imagination includes Ireland, Wales, Scotland and England in, in various, um, you know, combinations. Uh, combinations over the years. Um, and then there's London. London, London. <laughs> I get the feeling you like London, eh? All right. Um, all right. Now, you're an English teacher, but how, how did you end up being an English teacher then, Eamon? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I went to university and studied languages, French and Spanish, and when I left university, it was my intention to avoid going into a job. Um, <laughs> and uh, in those days, happily, um, there was plenty of money available for students. We called them grants, and we didn't have loans. So I managed to secure a grant to study law, um, a postgraduate law course. So without thinking very much about it, as one does when one is young. Um, I just enrolled in this course and found it quite interesting. Unfortunately, after two years, I had to go and be a lawyer. And um, this was my introduction to the world, and I kind of grew up a bit and for four years worked as a lawyer. Um, I wasn't a very good lawyer, and I wasn't a very happy lawyer. And I decided to change from there, and I got into teaching. I started teaching law at university. And then I started teaching English because it was um, English as a foreign language was beginning to boom and jobs were easy to get in London. And 
Um, my lifestyle was becoming increasingly dissolute. And, um, <laughs> wait, wait, what, 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 do you mind if I ask you what, what you mean by that? Well, um, dissolute means, um, I suppose, um, well, I, I suppose uh, it's sort of, you know, I, I didn't really want to get up early in the morning and um, I really did enjoy life after midnight and um, London was having a great time. This was the 1980s, yeah. you know, gay rights were coming out, you know, all night partying, rave music, dance music, and it was just a great time to party and, you know, one simply didn't have the time to work. <laughs> so, wait a minute. You... The, the, the life of a lawyer is, is uh, quite hard, isn't it? Because you have to work long hours and it's like, there's a lot of pressure, especially if you have to, I don't know, sort of um, present, uh, present in courts or you know, talk in front of a judge or even just write very, very important documents and things. But what you wanted to do was go out and party uh, like it was 1999, I suppose. Um, yeah. Um, what, was it, what was it exactly about being a lawyer that, that didn't suit you then? The career structure and, and the workaholic culture. I mean, it is um, it, it's just you know it was just ridiculous. Really, you had to spend all your life working, and when you weren't working, you were recovering from work. You know, you were too tired to love, and uh, I wasn't going to have that, was I? No way, no way, sir. Um, okay, so have you? Did you? So after becoming an English teacher, did you just teach in in London, or did you teach in other countries? I taught in London only for years, um, and. Um, in fact, up until about five or six years ago, when I moved to Croatia, um, and I've been teaching over there uh, now, and I teach between the two places. Yeah. What was it about Croatia that uh, attracted you? Why, why Croatia of all places? Well, principally, my very beautiful wife, who comes from Croatia, and it was a country I've been going to for years since um, um, I met her, and. Um, also, I was attracted, yes, I've devoted, as you might have gathered, I've devoted a large part of my adult life avoiding proper jobs, um, apart from the odd blip as a lawyer. Wait a minute, are you saying that being an English teacher isn't a proper job? Absolutely, Luke. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay. No, uh, I think what it is, uh, uh, being, uh, sorry, no, that was a bit facetious. No, um, English teaching can be a very serious job if you want it to be, but it can also be a, a, offer you a very flexible working structure. Um, and um, uh, my wife felt similarly. Um, when we started to have a family, we, were, you know, we both of us wanted to be very involved in, in bringing our children up, and we also quite liked each other's company. We wanted to see a lot of each other, so um, we um, we managed to buy some property in Croatia quite cheaply, and that meant that we didn't have to work so much. So uh, we have a good lifestyle. Yeah, in that sense, I, I, I'm impressed by your lifestyle because you get to spend sort of large parts of the year in your property in Croatia, which I understand is a beautiful country with like a lot of things to offer. Mm -hmm. And then every now and then you can come back to London and come back to the London School of English and mm -hmm. do the odd uh, course here and there. And it, it seems to suit you very well, I think. Yeah, no, it does. No, I'm very happy. Um, Croatia is a complicated country. Um, it is very beautiful, as people say. You know, it's got great coastline and stuff. But it's also a deeply troubled culture, and I sometimes worry that um, um, maybe I'm shortchanging my children by bringing them up there. But I console myself that um, these days culture is less grassroots and more mediated. And what I mean by that is that I think that my children 
um, and the youth of Croatia are having actually very similar experiences to the youth of Shanghai, New York and um, small towns in Devon, England. Um, and this is because increasingly culture is mediated through um, the web and the internet. And um, so uh, maybe my children won't be, you know, so shortchanged. Um, you, think, you think that even though they're in Croatia, they will still be able to participate in a kind of international culture? They'll, they won't miss out on the things that uh, they might miss out on if they weren't living in London because they can get it all through the internet, you know. Mm -hmm. um, okay, all right. Um, so, what about life in Croatia? I mean, let's just talk about some everyday things. Is it different to life in, in London? Um, and have you found any, uh, let's say, have you found any, like, common things that you find different or strange about living in Croatia? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, Croatia is a very different place. I and mean, I think the first thing to say about it is, is it's compared to London, it's a provincial culture. Um, London is a very urbane place. And I find um, when I come, I travel between the two. Um, and when I've been in Croatia for a long time and I come to London, my first impression is always the same and it's always quite strong. Uh, London people seem very grown up, independent, and expressive. Um, and when I go back to Croatia, um, you know, I, I find Croatians, you know, uh, basically more inhibited. You know, they haven't been allowed to to grow internally, you know, intellectually, spiritually, and socially in a way that that, that Londoners have. And it's it's basic as that, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Mm -hmm. But I mean, on a sort of more, let's say, on a more basic level. Are there little details? Because when I go to other places, I mean, maybe it's just because my, I, I'm not always on the sort of, um, I'm, I'm not always as profound as, as I get the impression you are sometimes. Um, <laughs> I find that I notice little things like, I don't know, like uh, the way that they organize their apartments or um, the way that they behave uh, on public transport, uh, things like that. For example, in um, in Japan, uh, on the on the trains, um, the culture is that you don't make any noise and that you're very silent, um, and that you're very respectful of other people and you're very sort of uh, you know keep yourself to yourself. You keep your private things private, and yet at the same time, it's quite normal to fall asleep on the train and fall asleep with your head on the shoulder of a stranger and that's okay that that kind of invasion of privacy is perfectly okay but talking to a stranger about their personal life would be like really out of the question so um, similar in London that you wouldn't talk to a stranger about their personal life but but you certainly wouldn't fall asleep with your head on their shoulder because that would be a huge invasion of their, per their personal space so that's an example of the way in which I find Japanese culture to be different in just a sort of little yeah. specific way. Okay. Have you noticed anything like that in Croatia? Yeah, I have. Um, again, the, the biggest one is I, I find London, uh, which in, when I was young, London had a reputation for being a rather rude and unfriendly city. But I think that's changed. I think London's become a, a kind of um, a brighter 
happier community to when I was young yeah. and, and very polite, you know, very well mannered and when I go back to Croatia um, the manners are dreadful um, you know, and Croats have a bad reputation for being ill mannered and surly and as far as I can tell both are justified <laughs> really? um, but um you said that London seems to be brighter and sort of happier and all that sort of thing. But what about, uh, I think it was last year, was it last mm. year? We had the riots, didn't oh, we? Indeed. And large parts of London were sort of basically burning yeah. as a lot of very, apparently very unhappy people mm. started, decided that they would smash the place up. Yeah. Now, what's going on there? Do you, does, right. don't, don't you think that shows that London isn't really that happy? Mm. I'm very glad you mentioned that, Luke. In fact, I was in London at the time with my family. And you weren't involved in the riots, were you? I was very close to them. I was in Tooting with my family and when it all kicked off I was outside making sure everything was locked and I made sure I was armed. Um, you know, it was Wild West stuff. So um, I really did experience those, those very uncomfortable days and I think the Monday night we were all pretty frightened because there obviously weren't enough policemen in London to deal with what was, what was happening. And yeah, okay, um, I think London is also a much, much richer town than when I was young. When I was young, a millionaire was a celebrity. These days, they're all over the place. You know, you have to be a billionaire to get noticed. And with that has come this um, discrepancy between the rich and the poor. And I think those riots were a classic manifestation of people who felt that they had been left out of um, the enrichment process and whose values had somehow become, had curdled and become uh, very material, you know, and they just wanted the trainers. You know, it was very disappointing. I mean, it, if it had been a riot about, you know, working conditions or living conditions, we would have got behind it, of course, but um, it wasn't. Uh, they just stole stuff. <laughs> I get the impression that it started as a way of, uh, it started as a kind of protest against the way in which the police were treating people in certain parts of the city. And then on the back of that, it just became a, uh, a, a free-for-all, you know, a chance for people to just loot shops and things. Interesting what you said about these people who don't feel they're part of the consumerist culture. And it, I really agree with that. I think that there is a huge consumer culture in the UK. And, you know, we're bombarded with advertising left, right and centre. And we're constantly given messages that in order to be happy and to be a successful person, you need to buy certain goods and you need to get this kind of TV and these sorts of clothes and things like that. And there are people who, uh, who live in sort of poor areas of the city who can't afford any of this stuff. And yet they, they're exposed to all of these adverts and things as well. And so, of course, naturally, they want to get those things. And yet they know, they realise that somehow they're giving, they're being given a bad deal. It's still wrong. It's still wrong for them to break into shops and steal things. It's definitely wrong. But I think that they were kind of pushed over the edge. Maybe I'm being a bit. Maybe we're being a bit liberal. Some people would say that there's no excuse for criminality and all that kind of thing. Do you, what, what do you, where do you stand on that? If if one of your kids had been involved in the looting, how would you have dealt with it? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, and I, I get your point about, you know, one's uh, liberal sentiments. Um, I have very mixed feelings about those riots. Um, and I don't really know where I stand. You know, I, I'm, I'm a bit shocked at the 
the belief that the acquisition of things can make a difference to your life. Um, you know, how bad is it, how has it got that um, you know, uh, just people want flat screen TVs and trainers? And I think we're in a bad way in that respect. Um, on the other hand, um, I was th on the night that it happened, I was just thinking, where are the police? And then bring in the army, you know. <laughs> and I was protecting my children, and, you know, I found myself having sentiments of a, <laughs> a rather less left-wing liberal. <laughs> you were like, get them, get these bloody looters, smash them up. What can I, do you mind if I ask what you were, you said you armed yourself. Mm -hmm. What did you arm yourself with, like a, a cricket bat, base, uh, you know, mm -hmm. golf club? What, no. what was it that you had? They, they were uh, shears. Uh, she gardening shears. The kind of tool that you'd use to cut... <laughs> I can't believe you were armed. I can't believe you were armed with gardening shears. These listeners, gardening shears, are like a sort of big pair of scissors mm -hmm. that you would use to cut a hedge. You know, a hedge is like a, um, a let's say, a kind of bush that you'd have in your back garden. And we use gardening shears to cut the hedge. This is before we had uh, electric uh, gardening uh, equipment. So gardening shears, imagine a big pair of scissors. I think I'm sure you know what I mean. So you were armed with a pair of gardening shears and what were you going to do when let's say a looter smashed through the front door and said, where's all your stuff? Give me all your branded goods and, and money. Uh, what, were you, what would you have done with the gardening shears at that point? Well, Luke, I'm ashamed to say I was ready to clip their wings. <laughs> Bring those, bring those, bring those uh, looters da back down to earth. A bit of dose of uh, aim and reality, let's say. Um, okay. Um, all right. Fine. Okay. Well, um, what, where can we go from here, Eamon? Do you think that uh, think that the Olympics made a difference to to this culture? Do you think because like the Olympics were all part of a way to to somehow. Um, refresh things in in London, mm -hmm. and they took place in the East, which was which is known for being an area of poverty and um, not a very developed area. So, the, or the part of the Olympic bid was to try and redevelop that area. And the catchphrase for the Olympics was to inspire a generation. Do you think the Olympics is going to inspire a generation? Right, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of propaganda, and um, the whole development um, issue is actually quite controversial, Luke, and I think we could you know, almost devote another podcast to that. Um, it's tempting to say, obviously, it's a good thing, but in fact, a great deal of um, grassroots culture was destroyed to make way for, for much of the uh, Olympics construction. Mm. But for me, um, the Olympics didn't change us, but the Paralympics did. Um, I think the Paralympics were extraordinary. Um, images on TV that we had never seen before. Um, discussions about disability that we had never entered into before. Um, black humour. Um, and I believe we have, um, you know, liberated... Um, a whole new voice, you know, the voice of the disabled, and that can only be a good thing, and I really believe that London was the best place for it, because um, we have a combination of um, wealth uh, and sensitivity and humour 
and uh, style, if you like, um, to pull it off. And pull it off we did. And that was the great achievement of this summer, the Paralympics. Okay. Um, I think the Paralympics is amazing because uh, the potential that there is in the Paralympics. Because, you know, the, the thing about the Olympics is that... Um, that a lot of it's really controlled. So, for example, um, doping, technology, these are all kind of outlawed to an extent. Like it has, they have to try and make sure that the athletes um, perform just as people, you know, that, that they have to make sure they're not using um, any other kind of, let's say, technology or, or pharmaceuticals to help them, help them, right? But in the Paralympics, there's this idea that it's a combination between, in some of the events anyway, and in some of the athletes, a combination of the person and the technology, the developments of the technology. Like, for example, some of the runners use these, uh, I don't know how exactly you describe them, but they're kind of like um, running blades. Running blades, I think they call them. Yeah. And they're, they're uh, attached to the, the bottom of the, the legs of the athletes and they run with these blades. And I, I, I wonder if eventually, when the technology gets to the right stage, these blades and this technology will, will really allow people to do incredible things. That uh, where's, where's the where will the Paralympics go? You know, it might, we might have some incredible um, technology being used, and it could be really amazing uh, spectacle. Well, I look forward to um, this whole debate about technology and, and human endeavor being developed. Um, you know, th this whole business of doping seems to me to be... Uh, um, a troublesome area, a difficult area, because it's like crime, you know, the criminals are always ahead of the authorities, and it seems to be the same in doping, and um, the Paralympics is now becoming a big thing, a commercial thing, there's going to be a lot of money and power involved in it, and I believe, you know, Paralympians, uh, they're only human, are going to start using, uh, shall we say, technological <laughs> um, uh, support uh, in terms of, you know, what kind of drugs can they take and can't they take? And I look forward to uh, an Olympics or a Paralympics where anything goes. Yeah. And we just see who's the most inventive, <laughs> chemically, um, technically, um, prosthetically, and let's just see how fast we can run and how high we can jump, Luke. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree. I want to see exactly how fast a person can go before they explode. You know? <laughs> Let's just make, let's make that happen. If we just, you know, totally, maybe we should create an alternative Olympics where it's like, okay, no regulation, go for it, go for your lives. Uh, you know, there have to be lots of insurance, you know, to make sure the athletes know exactly what they're entering into. But once they are willing to do it, then we, go, we should go for it. And how about an alternative society where anything goes too, Luke? <laughs> well, I think, I think you might need to, uh, I don't know who you should talk to about that, uh, write a letter to the government. I don't know what they're going to do about it. Yeah, a, a society where anything goes. Wow. Well, anything goes. Well, we, we work three days a week. So we should, um, we've got four days a week to devote to our relationships and fun. And um, where, uh, what bothers me uh, is prohibition. I really don't like prohibition, Luke. I believe that, you know, my human rights are being violated.
yeah. um, frankly, when someone prohibits me from doing something. Um, you know, uh, John Stuart Mill, uh, a great British man, um, who wrote the, the, one of the great essays of all time on liberty. Philosopher. Uh, philosopher. And um, he said that, um, you know, man and woman, of course, but in those days they said man with a capital M, yeah. uh, man should be free to do anything he likes apart from harming another human being. And that is very much where I come from. And so we don't like prohibition. And I think we need to tell the Americans that, Luke. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they learned about a bit about prohibition in the 30s, of course, and they realized it didn't work. Um, but what about... I agree with that question of we should be allowed to do whatever we want as long as it doesn't harm another person. But how do we measure it, what harms other people or not? Because there's always the chance that what... You know, when you look at it for the first time, you might say, for example, I don't know, smoking, let's say, if you do it at home, doesn't harm other people. But maybe it does in other ways. Maybe somehow, because if more people smoke, that means the NHS, the National Health Service, has to look after those people, so it's more of a tax burden and all that sort of thing. How do we decide what uh, harms other people and what doesn't? Where do you draw the line? Okay. Um, very good question and a very good point. And I think what we have to learn to live with is a certain ambiguity and uncertainty and whereby each human in each situation has to make judgments, um, um, moral judgments based on you know um, how they feel uh, the consequences of their actions will impact on other people. Um, what I don't like is you know coming from from central office uh, a black and white prohibition you must do this or you must do the other. And the fact is that the interaction of um, billions of human beings is a very complex issue and we uh, what, what I look forward to is um, you know a, a world a society where people are sufficiently developed and grown up to handle complexity uncertainty and ambiguity and allow themselves to go into situations and make moral and social choices um, which are, you know, uh, for the benefit rather than the detriment of others. I think you've just, ex you've just described my ideal listener to Luke's English podcast because I think the people out there who listen to, regularly listen to Luke's English podcast, I imagine have to put up with a certain amount of ambiguity. Um, you know, they've got to be quite tolerant people in order to put up with, I don't know, maybe those moments when I talk nonsense about various things. They also have to realise that... Um, that that maybe is, is something that uh, they have to put up with in their general life. Do you think that, that uh, well, you know what? Um, do you want another drink? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right, let's do that. It, it's been great to talk to you, Eamon. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm sure that all my listeners will agree that you're a great uh, conversationalist, and I think maybe we've set a new high point in terms of um, the, let's say, the depth that we've gone into in this episode of Luke's English Podcast. Mm -hmm. In many cases, I just talk about like, who would win in a fight between Spider-Man and Batman, <laughs> for example, and I go into that in quite a lot of detail, but today we really kind of got uh, to the heart of some deeply important issues relating to human rights, uh, sort of society, and uh, other related issues. But uh, any, anything else to say to the people of the world before uh, we uh, end this uh, interview, Eamon? Um, no, well, th thanks a lot for those not, uh, really kind words, uh, Luke. Um, 
Well, uh, well, people of the world, um, work less, love more. That's all I can say. <laughs> right, and uh, I think on that note, uh, we'll stop recording here. Thank you very much. I think uh, you will probably hear more from me, but uh, for the moment, thank you very much, and goodbye. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Luke's English Podcast. Don't forget to visit teacherluke.podomatic.com for more information. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humor and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.